Well, good morning, Watermark. If we have not had the chance to meet, my name is Tyler Briggs. And uh, as of this week, I'm an elder at a uh, church plant that's just a little bit west of here. You may have heard of it. It's called Watermark Fort Worth. And uh, it's just fun to be with you again this morning. It's also fun to have the Watermark Fort Worth family tuning in with us to worship uh, around the teaching of God's word. But I want to start by just telling you something about myself as a matter of confession. And it's just that I don't like rules. And my wife is a rule follower. So you, you can imagine that that will create a unique dynamic and sometimes a tension in our home over what we should or shouldn't do. In fact, my wife, Lindsay, would probably label me uh, as a rule breaker. But I think that's quite unfair. And I would more accurately call myself more of a rule bender. And uh, those of my fellow rule benders out there know what I mean when I say that. Um, But I know that I'm not alone in my desire to want to break rules or bend rules at times because I know that at the end of the day, all of us, including those of you who would say that you're a rule follower, at the end of the day, left to ourselves, are selfish. And this desire that's within us to want to do what we want to do whenever we want to do it makes us view rules as something that limits our freedom and it restricts our liberty. And so therefore, uh, we come up with all kinds of ways to justify why it's okay Uh, for us to to break the rules. And so some of it could be we just label rules as as arbitrary that we feel are unnecessary. And because we think they're unnecessary, therefore we feel the justification to be able to break them. Or at a more broad level, we just may say in general, as we look at rules, hey, rules are put in place by imperfect people. And so they're imperfect rules. And so surely there's a loophole in there. And so we find ways to justify why we don't have to follow them. But there's another set of rules, or should I say more so, more accurately, commands that we can't use that justification on, that an imperfect person created them and so therefore they're imperfect laws and therefore we have the right to rebel or break them Uh, because the person who created these commands is, is, is a perfect God and his commandments are perfect. And so as we uh, continue in a series called Retold that we've been in for the past couple of weeks where we are looking at history that everybody should know, we're gonna pick up this week and look at a loving God who gives loving commands as we go to Exodus chapter 20 to look at uh, the 10 commandments. And here's why it's so important for us to retell this part of history, this part of the scriptures, because quite frankly, your view on both the lawgiver and who you think he is, and then the commands, the laws that he gives will determine the quality of your life. And I'm not talking quality in terms of like financial prosperity. I'm talking about quality in terms of uh, joy and fullness and hope and peace that you could experience um, in this life. And, you know, as I think back on my own experience inside the church and uh, being around Christians, particularly early on in my life, I, I feel like I was around a lot of people who had a wrong understanding of both the lawgiver who is God and the laws or the commandments that he gives. And the reason I think this is because, you know, a lot of the people that I grew up around going to church followed the law out of duty. Like they would walk in the 10 commandments, but they were completely joyless in their life. And the fact that they would legalistically follow these rules or these commands, but then have no real joy in them really turned me off for a long time from even wanting to consider Um, who God was. Later on in my life, in terms of college, and even a little bit later, I would be around people who had a different approach to it, where they would say that they had this like high mountaintop emotional experiences. They would say that they would, that they loved God. But then when it came to his commandments and walking in obedience, they, they would live a life 
as if, the, as if God didn't even exist. And although they would say that they would love him, their, their lives didn't reflect anything of it. And because of that, as their life played out, their lives were a total mess because they said they loved God, but they ignored his loving commands. And then other people that I encounter frequently now who come in the, the doors of a church building and who are wanting to be around God, they're wanting to get to know him, but they know that they're a lawbreaker. They know that they've broken God's commands and they're so burdened with guilt and with shame that, that they have no joy themselves either. And all of those instances, all of those people, their issues, their lack of joyliness, joylessness or their lack of joy or the pain that they experience in their life can be traced back to a wrong understanding of the lawgiver who is God, the perfect God who gives us perfect commands, a loving God who gives loving commands. And so this morning, as we retell the history of the Ten Commandments, as we look at this loving God who gives loving commands, our aim, my aim, is to give you a correct view of who God is, why he has given us these laws, and then what he has done on our behalf to remove the condemnation that we all deserve as being lawbreakers. And so we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, uh, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 18. I'm actually going to read them all uh, right here to get started. And then we're going to look at the major uh, learnings, principles that we should take away from if we have a right understanding of the Ten Commandments. And so I'll start reading uh, in chapter 20, verse 1. I'll read all the way through this passage. It says this, Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God, and in it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet, covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And all the people perceive the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. And so as we jump in to look at the history of the 10 commandments, it's so important that we, that you understand the context into which the 10 commandments are given. And even just understanding that the 10 commandments are really just 
the summation, kind of the overarching summation or umbrella of all of God's law, which was really 613 laws or commandments that could be divided up into three parts. You have the moral law, which just kind of just like the universal principles of morality. You had the civil law, which spelled out how specifically the nation of Israel was to relate to one another in their civil relationships. And then you have the ceremonial law, which is the portion of God's commands that uh, God defines how this nation of Israel was to relate to him. How could an unholy people, an imperfect people, approach a holy and a perfect God? And so the, the Ten Commandments, It's just the summation of all those things. Jesus later on really sums them up into two when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. But even before that, God himself says, hey, as I'm about to give you these commands, I need you to remember who I am. And in the preamble, the verses one and two, God says as much, he says, then God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so what God is telling us there is that we have to review this law, these commands that he's about to give us in light of the lawgiver, in light of who he is. And so our first uh, point for this morning is that we are to remember the love of the one who gives the law. Because if we don't remember the love of the one who gives the law, we're never gonna remember or understand the intent and the purpose of the law and how it's for our good and not for our harm. And so to do that, we have to remember really the history of the nation of Israel. And we see that God chose this one man in the book of Genesis named Abraham. And he made a promise to Abraham that, uh, that he was going to have uh, a house uh, that would, uh, not a house thing in the throne, he was going to have a, a land. He was going to inherit a, a land and that God was going to multiply his descendants that would be greater than all the sand on the seashore. And that through this family, through these descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And then you see through from Abraham, the story of Isaac, from Isaac, the story of Jacob. Jacob gets renamed Israel. Israel has a son, has 12 sons. One of them is named Joseph. And at the end of the book of Genesis, we see uh, the story of Joseph, which tells us how this family uh, that God had promised land ends up in the nation of Egypt. And at the beginning of the book of Exodus, we see that God uses this nation of Egypt and the favor that Joseph had won with Pharaoh to provide protection for the multiplication of Abraham's family. And we see this this family that numbered in 70 people when they arrived in Egypt end up growing to about 2.4 million people. And so you see God use this nation of Egypt as protection for Abraham's descendants to be multiplied. But then it says that there was a new king or a new Pharaoh that came to power who did not remember Joseph. And he looks around at all of these descendants, all of these Israelites, and he says, hey, these people, this nation within our own are mightier than we are. And so therefore, he says, we're no longer going to provide protection for them. We are going to oppress them so that there's not an uprising. And so then for the next 80 years, the nation of Israel lives in oppression underneath Egypt and underneath Pharaoh. But then God had not forgotten this people that he had chosen. And he raises up a deliverer named Moses. And he sends Moses to confront Pharaoh, say on behalf of God, let my people go. And we, if you're familiar with the story, we know that 
Pharaoh hardened his heart. It says also that God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he might display his greatness. And then through the course of 10 plagues, as Pharaoh continues to harden his heart against God, we see God confront all the false gods of Egypt and defeat them to show that he alone is the Lord God. Throughout the plague, he begins to show that he makes a distinction between his chosen people, Israel, and the nation of Egypt. And then as we get to the very last plague, the death of the firstborn, we see that God makes provision for his people, for the nation of Israel, and that uh, each household was to slay uh, and was to kill a perfect male lamb and then smear the blood of the slain lamb on the doorpost of their house so that when the angel of death passed over the nation, any house that was covered by the blood of the lamb would be spared, that the firstborn would not die. And through this final plague, we see that God ultimately delivers through this sacrifice, brings freedom to the nation of Israel. So Egypt says, get out of here. We, we can't stand against your God anymore. And in fact, we're gonna provide for you. And so God, you know, through his sovereignty and through his power, has the nation of Egypt provide gold and silver and clothing and everything that the nation needed for their escape from slavery as they move forward. And so Israel, having witnessed the power and the love of God on their behalf, begins to escape. And all of a sudden, Egypt starts chasing them. They end up with their back up against the wall of the Red Sea with no escape. And then God, through his power, again, displays himself in his love to this people and he parts the Red Sea. And the nation of Israel walks across on dry land. And yet Egypt, Pharaoh and his army is swallowed up. And then as they begin to journey towards this mount called Mount Sinai, we see that God provides water from a rock. Don't go by that too quickly. From a rock, God provides enough water to care for 2.4 million people. And then he provides manna or daily bread and meat through quail for their journey. And then eventually, as they journey ahead, they end up at Mount Sinai, where God then calls Moses up on a mountain to give commandments of how his people are to relate. In fact, the first thing he tells Moses is that he has chosen the nation of Israel to be his, his people. In Exodus chapter 19, verse, verses five and six, God tells Moses this, he says, now then, now that I have chosen you, now that I have shown you my love and my power, that I am the one true God and that there is none like me, now then, if you will then in, indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. And then in chapter 20, verses one and two, before he addresses kind of all the nation, he says, remember who I am. He says, you're about to receive these commands from me. Know that I am a loving God and that these are loving commands and that you need to remember the love of the one who is giving this law to you. And so we have to remember that. 
Because all too often we can look at the commands that God gives us and feel like he is really trying to rip us off, that he's trying to restrict our freedom, that he's trying to uh, limit our ability to carry out our, our desires. And while all that may be partially true, what he's actually trying to do is set you free in such a way that you will limit the pain that you would experience in your life from the rejection of God and the rejection of his principles. And I can't help but read this and uh, think about my dad. Uh, let's just say my dad and I had our, our, our run-ins. I'm what you would have called a strong-willed child would be the, the polite way to put it. And uh, my dad was, was a disciplinarian and there were house rules. And by golly, we had, to, we had to follow those house rules. And you know what I thought about my dad's rules? I thought they were dumb. And because I thought they were dumb, I found any way that I could to break them. In fact, uh, you know, there were things that he would have said that, were, that are fairly common to most of you, like no alcohol, no tobacco, no girls. Um, and we had like a curfew. And many of you may have heard this before. He would say, you know, nothing good happens after midnight. At least that's how he said it when I was younger. As I got closer and closer to 16, it ended up being more like nothing good happens after like 6 p.m. It's funny how that curfew got shorter and shorter and shorter. And uh, I just thought it was dumb. There was one friend who I was able to spend the night at their house and it was a little bit more relaxed. And so me and my buddy would scheme and uh, I'd go to spend the night at his house and we would sneak out of their garage window to go do whatever we wanted to do and break curfew. And when I got caught by my dad for bending or certainly breaking the rules, there were, there were consequences. And usually when there were consequences and he was getting ready to enforce the consequences for my breaking of the house rules, he would say something that, uh, you may find familiar as well. He would say, son, I just need you to know that this hurts me more than it hurts you. And that used to frustrate me so bad. Like how can me getting a consequence hurt you more than it hurts me? And I didn't understand that my rebellion grieved his heart because he saw that my rebellion was bringing about pain in my life that my life was headed for destruction and he saw it coming in a way that I couldn't and he grieved because of it. But my relationship with my dad is much different now. I, I continue to rebel in, in, in several significant, significant ways all the way up until about the time that I graduated from high school and moved out of the house. And then as I began to continue kind of in my, my rebellion, I begin to see the reasons why he had the rules that he did because he was trying to look out for my good. He was trying to, to help me. And when I began to understand that the reason that my dad had those rules was because he, he loved me, it drastically changed our relationship to the point that on the day that I stood at the altar to get married to my wife, the man that was standing next to me as my best man was my dad which is a little bit non-traditional of, of a role for a dad to play in a wedding. But I wanted to think of the best way that I could to affirm him and saying that, hey, I understand your love for me and I want you to stand by me as the one who I used to hate, who I misunderstood, who I name called, because now I understand that the rules, that the laws that you had for our house were because you loved me. And I understand that you're a loving father. And friends, if you're out there listening to this, I want you to know that, that God is your loving father. And that through the... Ten Commandments that kind of govern our, our morality. He's, he's not giving you these rules or these commandments to, to rip you off. He's, he's giving them to you because he loves you. 
And he knows if you choose to live a life in rebellion to these laws, to these commandments, that that it's not gonna go well for you. And so we have to remember God's love so that we will understand the intent of his laws. And I'll just say, hey, if you're currently, like if you're slow to obey God, I wanna venture to say that it's because you don't understand the heart of God. It would encourage you to go back and remember his love for you. But God's intent, then God's intent in giving us his laws, I've said it a few times, but I wanna say it more specifically, and this would be our second point, is that God's laws are for your good. God's laws are for our good, and he, he gives them to, this, to us so that it may go well with us. Not so that we'll miss out on the fun and joy, but so that it may go well with us. In, in Deuteronomy chapter four, verses 39 through 40, this is when Moses is about to tell this new generation that's about to inherit the promised land and he's about to re-give them the law, he tells them the intent of the law. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter four, verses 39 through 40. It says, know therefore today and take it to heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and on earth below and there is no other, there is none like him. He is the creator of all things and therefore he, he gets to command how things should function. And he says, because of that, so you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I am giving you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you and that you may live long on the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. God has given us these commandments for our good, not because he's trying to rip us off. And he, God is trying to show us uh, how do we rightly relate to him and how do we rightly relate to others. And in fact, we've got a graphic that'll show you even how you can look at the 10 commandments as they're broken up. And you can see that commandments one through four kind of define and govern how we are to rightly relate with God and do not worship other gods because he knows that if we do that, it's gonna lead us astray. Do not make any idols. Don't misuse his name and tarnish his reputation. Keep the Sabbath and understand that we are finite with limitations and we need rest and we can ultimately find the rest that we're looking for in Jesus Christ. And then in verses five through 10, he lays out how we are to love other people. And really we see that there's a big restraining influence uh, of these commandments and how we relate to others to kind of restrain our own sinful hearts, our own evil towards one another and not to abuse gifts that God has given us, but to use them for our good and for the good of other people. And so we see that God is giving us these commandments for our good and not to rip us off. But I didn't understand this for a while. I mean, I truly, I looked at God's laws and I thought that he was, that, it, that he was trying to rip me off. And part of the reason that I thought that is because I looked at Christians who were following God's laws, the Ten Commandments out of duty and were the most joyless people that I had ever met in my life. And in fact, I remember uh, telling one of my brothers in high school that I'll start following God when I'm done having fun. Because when I looked at God's people, they seemed to be some of the most joyless people I'd ever seen. But then I looked at people who had rejected God and who were living in the ways of the world and they looked like they were having all kinds of fun. And so I said, I'm gonna go do that. But now I had heard the gospel before and knew that, hey, there was this salvation that was available in Christ. And that if we accept him as our savior, we don't have to go to hell. And I thought, I don't wanna go to hell. So here's my plan. I'm gonna go and live my life how I want to and have all this fun. And then right before I die, then I'll trust Jesus. So that way I get to have all the fun of this world, but, uh, and I also get the benefits of heaven without having to live under the tyranny of God's law. 
And that didn't work out well for me. And so from 18 to 26, largely, I went and lived for this world. And I realized that my rebellion, that my refusal to see God for who he is and to walk uh, in obedience to his commandments led to a different kind of death in my life and could have led to a literal death, death on a few different occasions. But since I've come to know the kindness and the love of who God is and see that he's a loving God and these commands are loving commands and chosen to trust him, to walk in a relationship with him, to walk in obedience to his commands, my life has been full of joy and largely absent of pain that was caused by rebellion on my behalf. And so, as, as Todd has said many times before, for many of you who don't believe me, if you like what you got, keep doing what you're doing. But if you keep doing what you're doing, I promise you're gonna hit a point where you don't like what you got. And so trust in God. See him as a loving God who is giving you loving commands. I thought forever that God's commands were burdensome, but they're not. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, says this, for this is the love of God that... We, we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. Therefore are good and they lead to where true life is indeed. But God's law has another purpose. The 10 commandments have another purpose. And they're not just for our good in the sense that they will wanna lead and guide us towards where true life and joy is found. They also reveal something about us that we need to deal with. And what... The law, what the Ten Commandments reveal about us is that we are imperfect. God's law reveals our imperfections. The Ten Commandments reveal our imperfections. And that's the third point that I have. And this comes from a cross-reference of James chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, where he uses an analogy or an illustration that's helpful to us. And it says this, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror that shows him what he really looks like. For once he has looked at himself and he has gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he is. And so what does a mirror do? A mirror shows us our reality. It shows us what we really look like. And at the end of the day, when we come to see the law of God and it reveals all of our imperfections, it reveals the reality of who we are, that we fall short of God's perfect standard, we have one of two choices. We can ignore it or we can respond and we can do something about it. It's similar, similar to this. Uh, with all the, the COVID stuff that's going on, many of us have been living in a Zoom world for the past three to four months. And uh, there was something uh, early on in my use of Zoom as I learned how it functioned that I found to be quite beneficial. Because when you first get onto a Zoom call, you know, you see everybody's picture, everybody's video, including your own. And I always felt uh, a little awkward looking at myself when I was trying to have a conversation with other people via Zoom. I didn't like the way that I looked. It was kind of weird. And, uh, and so I just start, started searching, like, is there a way to, to take my video off of this? And in the top corner, there was this little button that you could click that give you a few options. And one of them was hide self-view mode. And I loved hide self-view mode because I could uh, take away the reflection of myself and wouldn't have to worry about how I looked. And I just ignored it. And that was a good plan um, until our community group, our small group was meeting via Zoom as couples. And so I had my wife sitting next to me and my wife um, thought it was important for us to know what we looked like. And, and she was right. And so 
As we start up a call, she, the video would come up and the first time I tried to go hide the selfie money, she said, no, 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 don't do that. She's like, I gotta, we, gotta, we gotta make sure that, that we look okay. It's, it's good for us to see the reflection of who we are. And so that if, you know, like if she had spinach in her teeth for din- from, from dinner or something, like she would know that it was there and could take it out and do something about it. And in a, in a very similar way, uh, the law, the Ten Commandments, as we know what they are and as we use them as a mirror to view the reality of ourselves, of our imperfections, we can either like, hide that reflection and ignore it, or we can respond and do something about it. And uh, the law reveals our sin. The law reveals our imperfection. And that's a good thing. Why? Why is that a good thing? Because if we didn't understand our imperfection, we wouldn't understand how great our need is for redemption, for saving. And so the law does something else. That's kind of the other side of the coin of it revealing, of our, of revealing our sin. The law points us toward redemption in Jesus Christ. And that's the last point this morning is that the law points us to redemption in Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter three, verses 23 through 24, it says this. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has come, has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. I think one of the reasons we dislike the 10 commandments so much is because we are forced to deal with the reality of our imperfections. And for many of the people who, I'm around today who see that, see the burden of their imperfections and walk around in guilt and shame because they have not heard the rest of the story that there is good news. There is good news that redemption is available in Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ himself fulfilled the law on your behalf. And so in your imperfection, there is nothing you can do to bridge the gap to, come, to remove the stain of your own guilt, to come back into a relationship with a loving God. But God loves you so much. This is the type of loving God he is. The type of the loving God that gives these loving commands is that he came in the form of a man in Jesus Christ and he lived the perfect life that you never could. He died the death that you deserved because he loves you. And through Jesus Christ fulfilling the law, not just the 10 commandments, but all 613 of them, he earned a righteousness that he could then freely give to you so that you could be declared righteous before before God by faith and that Jesus' righteousness is giving to you and the guilt and the penalty of your sin was placed on him on the cross and through Jesus Christ, you stand condemned no more. In Romans chapter eight, verse one, it says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So just in summation of all of it, in order to understand the history, the story of the Ten Commandments, you have to understand the God who gave them. That you have a loving God who has given these loving commands to guide you and lead you into life, to restrain your experience of evil that was gonna cause and will cause pain and destruction in your life so that you can find not only life eternal, but life to the full today as you walk in joyful obedience to God. And you know what happens when believers trust in a loving God and walk in obedience to him? It makes God attractive to those who don't know God and who were rebelling against him. 
and who are experiencing the pain that comes from a life in rejection of God. And they look across the way and they see like, hey, what's different about your life? How come your life has turned around? How come your marriage has been restored? How come you have a joy that you once did not have? And you can say, because I came to see that God was not a tyrant in the heavens, but he's a loving God who gave his life to redeem me. And now I follow his loving commands because I trust him. And I've come to see and experience and know that his laws are good and that they do in fact lead to life. And so just to, to close, uh, ultimately, just for those of you who may be listening this morning and who you feel that burden, like you know your imperfection, you didn't need this message, you didn't need me to read the Ten Commandments to know that you've sinned against the Holy God, but yet you're covering around condemnation. I want you to know that the removal of that guilt and condemnation is offered freely to you in Christ Jesus. If you would simply trust him as your savior. For those of you who are saying that you love God, but you're walking in rebellion to his commandments, I want you to know that the truth is that you don't, you don't love God. Or at least you, your love for him is much smaller than the love for your own sin. And the life that you're looking for, you're never going to find apart from walking in obedience to the commands of this loving God. And then for those of you who may be listening that you've been dutifully obeying God's laws, but you have no joy, I want you to know that the one who gave those laws desires to have a relationship with you. And through that relationship, you'll find the joy that you've been missing out on maybe for decades as you've sat in a church pew listening to the law, walking in the laws of God, but, but missing out on a relationship with the lawgiver. So I hope this morning as we've looked at this, it's reminded you of who God is and what these commandments are and that, uh, that your love for him is renewed and your desire to walk in obedience is changed because we have a loving God who gives loving commands. Let me pray. Father, thank you that that you are good. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you didn't leave us by ourselves to try to figure out how to live a life in such a way that it may go well with us, but you've given it to us clearly in your word. Thank you that you're a, a God who sacrificed everything to show us your love and your glory Help us to see that you are God alone, that you are God almighty, that you are worthy of our worship and of our praise and that any uh, idol or false God that we could attach our hearts to falls far short of your love and your worth and your glory. So help us to walk in obedience to you. And God, as we do that, Pray that in, in whatever way would glorify you the most, that you would reveal yourself through the church to an unbelieving world that right now we can see desperately needs to know you, desperately needs the redemption that you offer, definitely needs to have their hearts of stone taken out and removed uh, and, and, and replaced with a heart of flesh that would desire to walk in your ways and that you may redeem all things and be glorified in the midst of it. Help us not to ever Look at the Ten Commandments in absence of remembering the one who gave them. We love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, thanks for tuning in this morning. I hope that you have been encouraged. And uh, like we have the past several weeks, we've been continuing to release 
worship from Watermark, uh, worship from Watermark Music. And this morning, we have another song that we want to release to you. And so we hope that in it, you're reminded of who this loving God is and then it stirs your affections for Jesus Christ. Take a look at this. Have a great week of worship.